Thank you for choosing to listen to the sermons of the Ninth Avenue Church of Christ. We meet at 2309 9th Avenue in Haleyville, Alabama. And if you're ever in our area, we would love to have you as our guest. If you live in our area, we would love to study the Bible with you. You can call us anytime to study up a Bible study or just to gain more information at 205-486-9247. Also, visit our website, 9thAvenueCofC.com, or check us out on Facebook by simply searching for 9th Avenue Church of Christ. Now we hope you'll join us for a study of God's Word as we seek to follow Him each and every day from the Ninth Avenue Church of Christ in Haleyville, Alabama. There are some words that are so big, that are so broad, that are so deep, that we cannot get our minds fully around them. And one of those words is the word eternity. This week we have built our lessons upon a theme that comes from Luke 1 and verse 1. Luke said that he was writing an account of the life of Jesus. And he said he was writing about things most surely believed among us. And that's what we've been talking about this week. Some of the great subjects that are presented in Scripture. And tonight as we come to the last night of our meeting, that subject is eternity. One of the reasons that we have such a difficult time in grasping the concept of eternity is because everything that we deal with is in a time frame. That is, everything has a beginning and an ending, but eternity has no beginning. And you can let your imagination run back beyond the beginning of time. And you can think of it as forever and forever and forever and forever. That's eternity. Or you can think of the future. After the end of time, forever, and forever, and forever, we just can't get hold of all of that, can we? And yet we believe it, and it is true. As a matter of fact, in comparison with eternity, time is little more than a dot, And yet, something significant has happened in time. In time, God brought the universe into existence. In the beginning, God created 
the heavens and the earth. And in time, God made a man in his image. In time, the man fell away from God in disobedience. And sin was born into the world. And in time, God began to unfold a means and a method that had been forever in his mind to rescue man from the power and the guilt and the consequences of his sin. And early in the biblical account, God began to reveal that plan to us. He said that in the seed of the woman, man would find his hope. Genesis 3 verse 15 says, I will put enmity between you, the serpent, old Satan, and the woman, and your seed and her seed. And then he went on to say, That that seed of the woman would be the answer to our greatest difficulties. And the rest of the Bible, after Genesis 3.15, God continues to unfold His plan and to acquaint us with His eternal purpose. The Bible is filled with wonderful stories that... We have learned from our childhoods. But the design of Scripture is not simply to reveal great stories. The the design of Scripture is to allow us to be acquainted with the fact that God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whoever would believe on Him should not perish but have everlasting life. And to this end, Jesus came into the world and he lived a perfect life. He taught as no one had ever taught. And after he lived one-third of a century on this planet, he died as a common criminal upon a Roman cross Between two thieves. But God used that murder. Because it is through the shedding of the blood of Christ. That God purposed to present us with a plan that would bring the forgiveness of sin. After dying on the cross, Jesus was buried in a borrowed tomb. But on the third day, he walked away from that tomb, alive to die no more. And finally, he ascended back to heaven, but not before he made the promise that he would come again. Our world moves toward a certain destiny. And as we consider eternity tonight, I want to begin there. 
The world is moving toward a destiny. And the destiny is what Scripture calls the end. In 1 Corinthians 15 and verse 24, Paul spoke of the end. Time had a beginning and it has an end. And all of that is a dot on eternity. We're moving toward the end. We don't know when it's going to be. But the end is coming. The day is approaching when God is going to put a period to history. God is going to pull down the curtain on time. And time will be no more. We are moving toward the end. And beyond the end, we enter in to our eternity. Now, I want to say here at the beginning tonight that the end of which Paul speaks in 1 Corinthians 15, that the end is going to be ushered in by four simultaneous events. And I want to quickly notice those with you. The first of these events is the second coming of Christ. One of the last things that he said before he left this earth is, I will come again. And we fully expect him to keep that promise. In John 14, beginning with the very first verse, he said, I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am, there you may be also. Mark it well, Christ is coming again. And he himself said, of that day and hour knows no man. All through the years, people have guessed as to when Christ might appear again. None of them have been right. Quite obviously, if somebody every day of the world says, Christ is coming today, one day somebody's going to be right. But no one knows when he's coming. Isn't it therefore the part of wisdom to prepare for that coming so that whenever it is, we'll be ready. Christ is coming. The second of these four simultaneous events is the resurrection of the dead and the change of the living. When man dies, his body goes back to the earth, but that person lives on somewhere else. Man has an eternal nature. And when Jesus comes, he's going to raise the dead. There will be people living when he comes, so he's going to change the living. Hear these words from the apostle in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Beginning at verse 50, he said, flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God. We're not going to be with God in these physical bodies. 
Behold, he said, I show you a mystery. We shall not all sleep. Now, when he uses the word sleep in 1 Corinthians 15, he's talking about the sleep of death. And he shows that when we come to the end of the world, that everybody isn't going to be in the sleep of death. We shall not all sleep. But, he said, we shall all be changed. Whether we're living or dead, we're going to be changed. And then he went on to say, for this corruptible, this body of, this physical body subject to decay and sickness and death. He said, this corruptible must put on incorruption. And this mortal must put on immortality. So when this corruptible should have put on incorruption and this mortal shall have put on immortality, then shall be brought to pass the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. And to the Christians at Corinth, he said, thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. For those who fit into God's eternal plan." To those who will obey the gospel, who will live under the lordship of Christ, who will have their sins forgiven by the blood of Christ, to those, death does not win. Now one may struggle with various kinds of illness in this life. And that illness may finally overtake the person. And he or she may die. And it seems quite natural for us to say, death won. Death never wins for the Christian. We're the winners. Thanks be to God who gives us the victory. Not disease, not decay, not death, but us. And it's through the Lord Jesus Christ. When the end comes, it will be marked by the coming of Christ, the resurrection of the dead, and the change of the living. The third event that will usher in the end is the destruction of the world as we know it. In 2 Peter 3 verse 10, Peter says the day of the Lord, and biblically the day of the Lord in the New Testament sense means the end of time. The day of the Lord will come, he said, as a thief in the night, in which the heavens shall pass away with a great noise, and the elements will melt with fervent heat, and the earth and the things that are therein will be burned up. There's going to be a great change. The end of the world as we know it. The heavens will pass away. The earth will be burned up. Just think about it. All of the material things around us, all of the inventions of men, all the discoveries that we've made, all the buildings that we've built, all of them are coming to an end. Only what's going to count then is who we belong to now. 
The world is passing away. There's the coming of Christ, the resurrection of the dead, the change of the living, the passing away of this universe, and then there is a judgment. God has appointed a day in the which He will judge the world in righteousness. And He's going to judge the world in righteousness by that man whom He hath ordained, and He's given assurance unto all men in that He has raised Him from the dead. Who has Christ raised up so He dies no more? It is that the Lord Jesus Christ who will be the judge. At the end of this age. Those are the four events. That will simultaneously. Usher in the end of time. And advance us. Into the eternal shore. Now with that information before us. Let's make some observations. And draw some conclusions. Bible students, when they come to study these matters about which we have just spoken, need to understand the difference in the last or the latter days and the last day. In Scripture, you no doubt are aware of this fact, but in the Scripture... The Bible speaks of the last days. In Isaiah 2, 1 through 4, Isaiah said, It will come to pass in the last days that the mountain of the Lord's house will be established in Jerusalem. We know the prophet is speaking about the church because the house of God is the church. 1 Timothy 3.15 tells us that. But he said in the last days or the latter days. Another of the prophets said exactly the same thing that that Isaiah said. And then Joel said that it would be in the latter days or in the last days when God would pour out His Spirit upon all flesh. And, And we know when we come to the New Testament that what happened on the Pentecost following the resurrection of Christ was that that happened and the church began. Hebrews 1, 1 and 2 says, God who at sundry times and in divers' manners spake in times past unto the fathers by the prophets, hath in these last days, these latter days, He has spoken to us by His Son. Mark it well. Since God has been speaking to us through His Son, Jesus Christ our Lord, we have been in the last days. We don't know how long the last days will be. They already have been 2,000 years. But this we know for sure. This is the last age of the world. At the end of this age, the end comes and we're ushered into eternity. So we need to know that there is that day. The day for which all other days was, were made. That day 
when we leave this place to go to another. Now, the second observation I want to make is that there will be just one bodily resurrection from the dead. Some of the things that I'm observing right now in these few points I'm making are being made because of what some teach us about the end that I don't believe is in harmony with Scripture. And one of those things is multiple resurrections of the dead. I want to affirm that there is one bodily resurrection from the dead. Listen to Jesus in John 5, verses 27 to 29. He said, marvel not at this. He had just said that there was a day coming when people were going to hear the voice of the Son of God. And those who heard would live. He isn't talking about the end of the world there. Notice that he said that those who hear will live. Everybody wouldn't wouldn't hear. And his voice is the voice of the gospel. When the gospel is preached, people are going to do something with it. They're either going to accept it or reject it. And when one hears the gospel and he accepts it, He will have spiritual life. He will live. Laying that fact down, Jesus then said, Do not marvel at this. For the hour is coming. Now for those who are going to hear the gospel, He said, The hour is coming and now is. We're, We're close to it. But there's another hour coming. He said, The hour is coming when all How many? All. How many are all? Well, they're all. All that are in the graves will hear His voice. They're not going to have any choice in this. Those who have died physically are all going to hear His voice. And He goes on to say, they will hear His voice and come forth. And lest we misunderstand, he said, those who have done good to the resurrection of life and those who have done evil to the resurrection of condemnation. Everybody in the graves will come out and there is one bodily resurrection. There's not going to be a resurrection of the righteous and sometime later a resurrection of the wicked. All the dead will be raised at the same time. There is one bodily resurrection. My third observation is this. The day of judgment and the day of the resurrection will be the last day. Now hear me carefully what I've said. Beyond the resurrection, beyond the last day, There are no more days. Beyond the judgment, there are no more days. Time ends with the resurrection and the judgment. 
Now let me acquaint you or remind you of some passages of Scripture. The friend of Jesus, Lazarus, was dead. Jesus was away from his usual habitat, and he didn't even come to the funeral. But a few days later, he arrived in Bethany, close to Jerusalem, and the sisters of Lazarus were in mourning. One of those sisters heard that Jesus was coming and left her house and ran to meet him. And she said, Lord, if you'd been here, my brother wouldn't have died. And Jesus said, your brother will live again. And she said, I know that he will live again or will rise In the resurrection of the last day. When is the resurrection going to occur? On the last day. We can count on that. Or that's what God has said. Well, when is the judgment? In John 12 and verse 48. Jesus said, the word that I speak unto you. The same will judge you in the last day. So I stand upon my previous statement. The end will come. The last day will arrive. And on that day, there will be a resurrection and a judgment. Now my fourth observation. There will be only one judgment. Hebrews 9 and verse 27 says, It is appointed unto men once to die, and after this, the judgment. I think it's important that the Lord doesn't say, It is appointed unto men once to die, and after that, the judgments. There is one day of judgment. And then the last of these observations. I want to talk with you a minute about Christ upon David's throne at the end of time. If you watch televangelists or you have friends that belong to the denominational community, chances are they believe what is called premillennialism. And what that means in a word is there is a theory among people, and they're good and honest and sincere people, I grant that. I believe them to be mistaken. But there is an idea That one of these days, Christ is going to come back to this earth again. And that he is going to sit upon David's throne, his literal throne in Jerusalem. And then according to the theory, a number of things are going to take place. There is no evidence in Scripture 
that Jesus will ever set foot on this earth again. And I know that an announcement like that takes many by surprise because I think I can say without contradiction that most evangelicals, that is conservative religious people, believe in the thousand-year reign of Christ upon this earth. And I want to submit tonight that Christ cannot, Christ cannot sit upon David's literal throne and prosper in Jerusalem. Where did I come up with an idea like that? Let's try Jeremiah chapter 22. If you have your Bible with you, turn to Jeremiah 22 and let's notice some things together. Long before Jesus Christ even came, Jeremiah penned these words at a very dark period of Israel's history. And in Jeremiah 22, beginning at verse 28, Scripture says, Is this man Coniah? Now, in your mind at least, underscore that name, Coniah. If you're looking at the text of Scripture, you may have some footnotes or some center references. And if you do, as I do here, there may be a number by the name Coniah, and there's a footnote. And the footnote accurately says, because of other readings of other passages, that this Coniah is also called Jeconiah. Or Jehoiachin, he was one of the last kings of Judah before the Babylonian captivity. He has three names that are all given in Scripture. Coniah, Jeconiah, Jehoiachin. Now notice what God, through the prophet, says about this man. Is this man, Coniah, a despised broken idol, a vessel in which is no pleasure, Why are they cast out, he and his descendants, and cast into a land which they do not know? Now watch. O earth, 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 hear the word of the Lord. This is not man's word here. Jeremiah is writing or having these words written, but they are the words of the Lord. Hear the word of the Lord. Of the Lord. And here's what the word of the Lord says. Write this man, Coniah, Jeconiah, Jehoiachin, write him down as childless. Now, God doesn't say that he had no children. We know, even biblically, that he did. But he said, I'm considering him as childless. Well, Lord, what's, what's happening here? Why would you say something like that? Write him down as childless. Now watch this. A man who shall not prosper in his days. 
for none of his descendants. Now, if we talk about none of his descendants, how many does that include? It includes all of them, doesn't it? He said none of his, Coniah's, descendants shall prosper sitting on the throne of David and ruling anymore in Judah. Now, what does that say? It says that Coniah might as well be childless because there ain't going to be any of his descendants follow him on the throne of David. And he said, moreover, that none of his descendants anymore will prosper by ruling upon the throne of David in Judah, which is Jerusalem. And I emphasize again, I don't want to be tedious, but I want to emphasize again, none is zero, right? Now, if you turned over to Matthew chapter 1 and looked at the genealogy of Christ, right there in the middle of that genealogy is old Jeconiah. And God said none of his descendants. Christ is a descendant, according to the flesh, of Jeconiah, and none of his descendants can prosper reigning on the throne of David in Jerusalem. Now, we have a choice here. We can either believe that Jesus is going to reign on the literal throne of David in Jerusalem at some time in the future. Or we can believe Jeremiah. I don't know about you, but I think I might know. But what I want to say is, I choose to believe Jeremiah. And I think most of you would too. There are some things that men must wish would happen who things which people want to happen. But here is the basis of the earthly reign of Christ sometime in the future during the millennium. And if the foundation, and there are, are many features on different ideas attached to the premillennial view. But the basis of it is Christ on David's throne in Jerusalem. And Jeremiah said that isn't going to happen. And if that isn't going to happen, then the whole structure crumbles. Here's what we can expect. One day Christ is going to come. If he sets foot on this earth, we're not told it. He's coming. His people are going to meet him in the air. He's coming. When he comes, there'll be a resurrection of the dead and a change of the living. And when he comes, the universe is going to be destroyed and we're going to judgment. And we're not going to hang around here anymore because the resurrection and the judgment occur on the last day. There are no other days after this. 
There is no seven years after this. There is no thousand years after this. Time ends. And beyond the judgment we enter our eternity. And that means either heaven, the home of the soul, in the presence of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit and all the redeemed, or it means hell. And that alternative is so tragic that the Lord uses the most profound language that we can think of to describe it as a place that none of us want to go. And so my question tonight is, are you ready? Are you ready for the end? And that's just another way of asking, are you ready for eternity? Now, I want you to turn, if you will, with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. And I want to help us answer this question, are you ready? And I want to underscore four things from 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Are you ready? And I want to say first, none of us can be ready for the end and judgment and eternity until we learn what Paul says in 2 Corinthians 5 verse 9. We make it our aim to be well-pleasing to Him. Friend, you're not ready for eternity until your goal is to please Christ. So we want to please Him. That's number one. In verse 14, I want to emphasize that none of us can be ready for the end in eternity until, and here are Paul's words in verse 14, the love of Christ compels us. That's just another way of saying the love of Christ controls us. We're not ready till we learn To make it our goal, our aim to please Him. And number two, until we learn to love Jesus. Now there's some discussion about what the love of Christ here is. Whether it is the love that Christ has for us or the love that we have for Christ. And I want to suggest it doesn't make any difference. We know this, Christ loves us and He loves us enough that He died for us. Galatians 2.20 says that. And we must love him back. And I have an idea if we just took a poll tonight and asked, do you love Jesus? That most of us say we do. But we don't have to wonder about that. In John 14 and verse 15, Jesus himself said, if you love me, what? Keep my commandments. I'm asking tonight, are we making it our aim to be well-pleasing to Him and demonstrating our love by obeying Him? Or are we still 
arguing with him. Number three, at verse 17. None of us can be ready for the end in eternity until we become new creatures in Christ. Paul says, if anyone be in Christ, in Christ, we talked at length about that last night. If anyone be in Christ, this is not a promise to those out of Christ. If anyone be in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away, and behold, all things are become new. He goes on to explain, for all things are of God, who has reconciled us unto himself by Jesus Christ. That is, God was in Christ, reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses unto them. You see, if you're a new creature in Christ, your sins are forgiven. And you're reconciled to God. I'll tell you what, if I was reading that for the first time, I think this would be my question. If that's what happens in Christ, that's where I want to be. How do I get there? And we remember, don't we? Paul said to the Romans in Romans 6 verse 3, you were baptized into Christ. He said the same thing in Galatians 3.27, you're baptized into Christ. So our baptism is the threshold where we step from out of Christ into Christ. And when we're in Christ, we're reconciled to God, and God does not count our trespasses unto us. You're not ready for judgment in eternity until your sins are forgiven. And the fourth thing I would emphasize here is the time for which we should prepare for the end. You know, the apostle did not divide his writings into chapters and verses. That was done later. I'm glad it was done because just like here tonight, I ask you to turn to 2 Corinthians 5 and everybody that wanted to was able to do that. We didn't have to read Long sections trying to find the part that I wanted to read. I'm glad we have verses and chapters. But Paul didn't divide it into the chapters and verses. And so his thought does not end at chapter 5 that you have in your English Bible. After he had said all of this, we make it our aim to be well-pleasing unto him. The love of Christ controls us. When we're in Christ, we're new creations, our sins are forgiven, and we're reconciled to God. He said at the beginning of chapter 6, do not receive the grace of God in vain. Nobody can be saved without the grace of God. The grace of God is the unmerited, unearned favor of God. And unless you're perfect, you're dependent upon The grace of God. None of us can be saved without that. And the grace of God, Titus 2.11 says, has appeared to all men. So it's appeared to you and appeared to me and everybody else. And isn't it interesting that Paul says here, do not receive the grace of God in vain. The favor of God is offered But we can reject it. 
And if we reject it, we receive His grace, but it's in vain. It, it doesn't accomplish the purpose that God has in mind unless we accept it. And we accept His grace when we make it our aim to please Him, when the love of Christ controls us, and when we're new creatures in Christ. And having said that, Paul said, Behold, now, now is the accepted time. Today is the day of salvation. The time to prepare for the end and eternity is now. Not sometime. Sometimes not on your calendar. It's not, I'm going to, one of these days. But the time is right now. And so I ask, are you ready? And if your answer in your heart of hearts is no, you know, I'm out of Christ. I've never been as a penitent believer who has confessed my faith in Christ, baptized into Him. Then why are you waiting? Everything that matters is hanging in the balance of the decision you make. Why delay that? Everything's ready here at this building tonight so that you can be baptized into Jesus and prepare for eternity. And in a crowd of this size, I'm just confident that there are people who have been baptized, but something along the way has interrupted their spiritual relationship with Christ. You might find yourself among those who just sort of go through the motions of playing church. You're not ready. Until you give him the gift that he wants more from you and from me than anything else. And that's yourself. Why don't you do that tonight? Let's stand and sing.